You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit com for more info. Last week, I talked about Yadah. Does anybody remember what that is? Throwing your hands up in an act of worship or thanks to God. Correct. The week before that, I talked about Panim. Does anybody remember what that is? Other than my staff. Say it again. Exactly. Face-to-face presence of God. Man, you guys actually listen. I'm impressed. You must have listened to my podcast. (laughs) Probably not that far. I'm ambitious. But okay, so I was doing a little bit of research about what I wanted to talk about this week. And I've really been enjoying digging deeper into um, the Hebrew language and learning a little bit more about what the intent of the words were and what the words, the whole truth of the words really meant within Scripture. And so I was praying about what I wanted to talk about this week. I really felt like God was really speaking to me. The Bible verse, Psalms 46.10, and it reads, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I really felt like my sermon would come out of this single verse somehow. And so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of insight into how I write my sermons. So when I'm writing my sermons, one of two things happens. Either I kind of get a word and I just start writing and it snowballs into this 10-page to 14-page sermon. And it just flows super easy. And it's just an amazing, easy, takes me eight hours to write, super simple, good to go. Or the other way is, God gives me a little bit of truth. And then from that truth, He gives me a little bit more truth. And then He basically sends me on this scavenger hunt that takes me anywhere from eight hours to this week it was probably closer to 20 hours. Searching through Scripture, searching through God's Word, finding, what, finding out really what I'm supposed to be talking about. The second way was how I wrote this sermon this week. And so, it started out with just this verse. It just started out with, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so I started looking up what the Hebrew words are there. And I came across the word yada. Not yada, yada. Take the H off, yada. You guys have heard the saying, yada, yada, yada? Well, I don't think it means what you think it means. Yada is the Hebrew word for to know. So when you say yada, 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 really what you're saying is, I know, I know, I know. When I saw this, I just got super excited. I was just, I don't know why, like, okay, you guys know when you're watching like a sporting event or for you girls, like a chick flick, and at the end of the movie, the girl totally gets the guy, and you get all excited, and you're like, what? I didn't see this happen. Well, you always see it happen with chick flicks. But in a sporting event, you're like, what? I didn't know they were going to win. And you just get excited and you're just like stand up and you're like, your heart's going and you're just pumped up. You guys know what I'm talking about. That's how I felt when I saw this. I don't know. I guess I'm, my nerd's coming out a little bit. But I get excited when I'm writing my sermons. When I see some uh, a kind of truth like this just pop out at me, I get pretty excited. And I just got super excited at the word yada. I know that might not excite any of you guys. I can tell you guys are so enthused right now. But yada, as I began looking it up and finding out more truth and more of what it really means, 
I started seeing that it's used almost a thousand times in Scripture in the Old Testament. In Genesis, it's used to explain the relationship between Adam and Eve. And it's to know each other. And it's a very, very intimate knowing each other. The kind of knowing each other that only husbands and wives know each other. And then again, in Proverbs, it's used in saying, the righteous know the needs of their livestock. So it's saying is more of a caretaking. The righteous know what their livestock what their livestock needs. It takes on more of a overtaking kind of knowledge. Uh, I know the intimate details of your life kind of knowledge. And then in Exodus, it's used to talk about how we know God. And so, if you want to turn in your Bibles today, we're going to be in Exodus fourteen, ten through eighteen, verse ten. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, Mo, said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. See, at this point in Scripture, the Israelites are really put between a rock and a hard place. As they're leaving Egypt, they get stopped. They get stopped at the sea. And in front of them, all they see is a sea. Behind them, they see the Egyptians coming after them to kill them. All they can see is death by water or death by the Egyptians. And so they're stuck in this place, and so they begin to cry out against Moses. And they're saying, Moses, do you not understand what you've done to us? You have got us killed. We would have rather just stayed in Europe, or in Europe, in Egypt. (laughs) Same difference, I guess. (laughs) I'm glad you're paying attention. In today's time, there's this tendency to talk about Christianity like, as soon as you give your life to Christ... Everything is going to be handed to you. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to just be hunky-dory. And life is going to be absolutely perfect from here on out. And this is such a toxic teaching. Because once you give your life to Christ, it's not easy. It's not easier necessarily. But people who have been taught this from the second that they gave their life to Christ they get in this mindset like everything's going to be perfect. So then when they find themselves facing a sea in front of them and an army behind them, they immediately give up on God. And what it's really become is that God to them is no more than a, a, a genie in a bottle that they can wish for more wishes every time they run out of wishes. God becomes this thing that all they do is ask Him for things, ask Him for more and more things, And eventually when something doesn't happen that they think should happen, they turn their back on God and they immediately give up on Him. Just as the Israelites turn their back on Moses, they're saying, it would have been better for me not to be a Christian. And they get to this point where they're faking everything. Because in their mind, Christians are supposed to be perfect. 
So as they present themselves as this perfect body in front of everybody else and they pretend like nothing is bothering them, inside their Christianity, their faith, their belief in God is breaking away slowly because they have the wrong mindset of what God really is, of who God really is. And their own faith begins tearing down from the inside out. They begin to feel isolated. They feel like nobody really truly understands them because they're supposed to be perfect. Because they're Christian, right? They're supposed to be these perfect vessels that nothing ever goes wrong. Everything is absolutely amazing. And so they begin to feel isolated because they feel like nobody else truly understands them because everybody else is perfect. Because everybody else are Christian. Mark 14, 8. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I think this verse is so amazing because as, P- as Peter is being taught something right here, and I think it's absolutely revolutionary in how we approach God. Jesus is saying, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's not telling him, pray that temptation will not come. He's saying, pray that you will not enter temptation. So he's saying, when hard times come, pray that you will not fall. Pray that the weapons formed against you will not prosper. Weapons are going to come against you. Temptation is going to come. But we need to be praying, or our focus needs to be, that we can stand true in those hard moments. That we can be hardened by those moments. That, that we can be strengthened by those temptations. Not that they won't come. Not that life doesn't get hard. But that when it gets hard, we turn to God. And we allow God to strengthen us through those times. Let's continue in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army. And right there, I spoke about this for just a split second, first week of school, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Everything will glorify God. Whether you choose to glorify him through how you live your life, or if you choose to glorify him by being deviant and not submitting to him and putting your middle finger up at him. In the end, you will glorify God. And here, this is exactly what's going to happen to the Egyptians. I'll reread 17. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through the Pharaoh and all his army. Throw his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 18. The Egyptians will know, and here's the word yada. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through the Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The word here, yada, means to know. So how many of you guys have been in a relationship? And you know that when the relationship first starts out, you're just trying to hang out with them a little bit, trying to get to know them just a little bit, you know, start off slow, and you just kind of want to know a few things about them. You want to know if you can stand being around them without wanting to strangle them. You know what I'm talking about, right? And then eventually it starts growing. You start finding some more stuff out, and you realize that, yeah, I can be around them without wanting to punch them in the face. And you get to the point where 
you start to like them. So then you start asking them more questions. You start finding out the deeper truths. You know, because we all know that if they're a, a Texas Longhorns fan or a CU Buffs fan, the relationship just isn't going to work out. It just wouldn't work out. You're in my house, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or if they're UW fans, the relationship just will not work. So you get to a point, you find out they're not Texas Longhorn fans, they're not CU Buff fans, and in fact, they actually like most of the same teams as you like. <laughs> and they praise Jesus. And you're starting to get close to them. You start to know more things about them. You realize they even like the same Disney movies as you do. And that's, that's important. That is really important. So you get to the point where you start going on a few dates. You start spending some more time with each other. And then eventually it gets to the point where you actually put it on Facebook. And we all know that once it's on Facebook, it is official. That is, it is set in stone and it is real. And so you realize your relationship just got real. And so you begin learning more about them. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm going to have to buy them a Christmas present. And so you begin learning a little bit more about them because you want to make that first Christmas. That first Christmas is important. All you guys, I'm talking to you guys. That first Christmas is important. Courtney, see? See, the thing is, is you don't want to not get them anything or you don't want to get them something that is just absolutely out of character that they don't like. Like, if you were to buy me a puzzle for Christmas, I would laugh at you and know you weren't my real friend. And so you begin to get into this mode where you're learning everything you know about, or you want to know everything about them, because you also know that you don't feel like spending 500 bucks on them for the first Christmas, because that's just dumb. And so you begin to figure out what they truly like, what they really, really like. And yes, I realize that you're not only finding out everything about them so you can buy them a Christmas present, because let's be honest, there's a birthday in there too. And so you're getting to know them. So you guys, how many guys know what I'm talking about? For real, how many guys know what I'm talking about? Getting to know a significant other in a relationship-wise. So you guys know. So you guys know what it's like to get to know someone, to take the time to make an effort to get to know them, correct? We need to seek out God the same way. We need to seek out God with that purpose, that intent to learn more about them for a reason. We need to be spending the time it takes. We need to be asking him the questions. We need to be stalking him in his Bible, whereas in real life it would be stalking him on Facebook. But we need to be stalking God on his Bible, learning everything we can. There's a manual on God called the Bible. We need to be learning about God, asking questions, spending that time. So here's the thing. In our story, the Israelites didn't, know God. They didn't yada God. How do I know this? Because as soon as they're faced with a problem, they've already given up, given up on everything. In order to leave Egypt, they were given the ultimatum that eventually would go to the promised land. And as soon as things got difficult, they had already given up and already decided it would have been better if they never left. That tells me they did not know God. They didn't know what God is capable of, 
They didn't know how much God loved them. They just didn't know God. And so all too often, we get stuck. We get stuck behind our problem that we can see in front of our face and the enemy behind us breathing down our neck. The problems that we are about to face and the things that we're trying to escape, our past that we're trying to escape. We can get stuck. Now here's the thing. God is never changing. God stays the same. He's been the same in the Old Testament. He's the same in the New Testament. He's the same today in America. But we get to this point where we feel like we can't go on unless God grants us another wish. And we're so caught up on the fact that we want God to wish to grant us another wish. And here in America, we, we cry persecution when we post a share this if you truly love Jesus meme and somebody gets on there and calls us a bigot. We, we scream persecution. We get so upset about it. But on a scale from one to crucifixion, it's about the equivalent of ripping a band-aid off. It hurts for a couple minutes, but you forget about it ten minutes later. And then you're off sharing the next creepy-looking Jesus picture. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those things are creepy. Stop sharing them. <laughs> so let's get an idea of who God is here. God has saved three people from burning in a fire alive while they were in the fire. He saved a man who was thrown in a lion's den. He had a man swallowed by a fish and then delivered near where he was supposed to go. He used a wee little man to take down a giant without proper armor or weaponry. He gave a man in his 90s the ability to have kids. He opens up closed wombs. He's raised the dead. He's cleansed even the most shameful diseases. He used one man to bring judgment to the Philistines using the raw jawbone of a donkey and a bunch of foxes with their tails on fire. He brought his people out of slavery. And these are just a few stories. These are just some of the fun stories that I like to read in the Bible. And yes, every single one of those stories is in the Bible. But he did one more thing, and this is probably for you and me sitting in here, standing in here, this is the most important thing he did. He tore the veil both literally and figuratively. God isn't a God of raising up wimps. God is a God who strengthens his people. He teaches them to endure the hard times. He teaches them not to look back at their past, but to look forward at what God's going to do next. Our God is not a God of raising up wimps. He's not a God who raises up people who every time something difficult comes, they forget about God and they focus solely on their problem. That is not what God's about. So we all know about Jesus and we all know about his disciples. His disciples really are a great key from top to bottom of what knowing Jesus really looked like. At the top, you have Peter. We all know Peter. Peter got out of the boat. Peter had enlightenment as to who Jesus was. Peter denied Jesus three times. However, Peter came back. Peter knew Jesus. Peter knew him enough that when they went to capture Jesus, he cut off a dude's ear for him. He knew Jesus was worth protecting. He knew Jesus. And then you have 
Some of the disciples in this list were, if they didn't have a book of the Bible written after them, you'd probably forget that they were even a disciple. And then you have Thomas. We all know who Thomas is, right? Doubting Thomas. The reason he's called Doubting Thomas is because when Jesus came back, he doubted to the point where he had to put his fingers inside Jesus' side to prove that it really was Jesus. He probably had a little bit less of knowing who Jesus was because he doubted that Jesus could even come back. And then clear at the bottom, we have a guy named Judas. I firmly believe that Judas did not know Jesus at all. Judas eventually sells out Jesus for some cash, for some money. He basically hands over Jesus to be crucified for a little bit of money. I'm telling you, this guy did not know Jesus. But I can tell you, at some point, he does know Jesus. At least he knows who Jesus was. See, because... He figures out who Jesus is, and maybe it wasn't to the, the fullness of Jesus, but he knew that Jesus was at least an innocent man being crucified for something that he did not commit. Because he immediately regrets it, and he wants to give the money back, and he wants to set things straight. I believe that he knew at that moment who Jesus was. However, I still do not believe that he truly knew Jesus. Because as the story goes on, we learn that Judas eventually goes on and kills himself. See, now, the reason I know he didn't know Jesus and truly know Jesus is because of the last act that he committed. Now, I really do believe that if Judas knew Jesus, knew what Jesus was capable of, he never would have killed himself. And he would have gone on to be one of the main pillars of Christianity because if he'd have recognized who Jesus was, he'd have realized that Jesus, even though he sold him out to be crucified, even though he was the reason why he was on the cross, Jesus still, even through all of that stupidity, even through all of those terrible decisions, would have still forgiven him, would have still accepted him with a hug, and still would have wanted to teach him and help him correct his wrongs. I truly believe that Judas did not know Jesus, even clear to the very end. See, that's what the difference between knowing about Jesus is and truly knowing Jesus. That's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. See, in our story, the Israelites are faced with a sea in front of them. And they immediately give up on everything that God has promised them. Everything that God has promised them as far as going to the promised land, they immediately give up on it. And they immediately are lashing out against Moses. See, they knew of God. They knew God had a promised land for them, but they didn't know God. Because if they knew God in that moment, they would not have immediately lashed out against Moses. In fact, they probably would have begun asking God what the next step was. Where would you like me to go? Do you want us to just go into the ocean? Do you want us to turn back around? Then God uses Moses to split the sea. And they're walking on dry land while they have a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. 
before them as they were standing there faced with the sea, there was a miracle in front of their eyes ready to happen. But all they could focus on were the Egyptians behind them. And in fact, I guess if they really knew who God was, they probably would have turned around and began chasing right back after the Egyptians because they would have known that God was on their side. We get to this point where there's a miracle on the cusp. There's a revival ready to break out. There's a renewal ready to happen. There's a life ready to be changed. But we're so busy looking back at our past, at our sins, at the things that have been taking over our lives up until this moment. We're so busy looking back on that garbage that we're not even focused on what God has in store for us ahead of us. We're too busy looking at the garbage in our past, the garbage behind us, the stuff that God is wanting to just move us through. He's ready to perform a miracle for us if we're just ready to walk forward. If we knew, really truly knew the heart of God, we would know better than to look back at our past. We would know better than to fret about the sin that Jesus has already forgiven us for. We would know better. It is so important for us to know God. It is so important for us to take the time to get to know Him, to understand Him, to get to the point where we can no longer look at our past and we can look at God and we can look at what's in store for us in the future. We can look at what God has next for us. We need to yada know God. It is so imperative that we begin cultivating that relationship. See, here's the thing. This God that I'm talking about, this guy who is delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, this same guy who sent his son to die on a cross, he wants to know you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. He wants to be in a panim, face-to-face relationship with you. We need to begin cultivating that relationship. We need to be spending the time getting to know Him. Now, I'm not saying that if you struggle with looking at your past that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you struggle with looking at your past, you need to take a little bit more time and focus on God and try to get to know the future. I'm not saying that you need to doubt your salvation every time that you look back and you regret something in your past. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's so much better there's so much better of a life for you. There's so much better than, than to be struggling with that garbage. It is so much better than that. So David, would you please come up? It is so important that we invest in God. Invest in getting to know Him. And so tonight, I want everybody across this place, I want everybody to close your eyes. And tonight, if... All across this place with everybody's eyes closed. If you do not know God at all, whatsoever, if you've been to church before, but you don't know God, or if maybe your parents know God, but you really don't know God, you've never taken the time to get to know Jesus. You've never thought it was more than just showing up at church. Or honestly, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, 
I don't have a clue what you were really talking about. But I want to know what you're talking about. I want to know God. I want to enter into an intimate relationship with God. I want what you have. I want what those people around me have. I want that redemption. I want that freedom. I want to stop looking at my past. And I just want to focus on what God has in store for me in the future. If this is you and I'm speaking to you tonight, and you can just feel it, you know that I'm talking directly to you, and you have never given your life to Christ before, I want you to do something for me and I want you to raise your hand up. Now maybe you have known Jesus in the past. Maybe you've been to church a thousand times and you know a lot about Jesus. But lately, you've pretty much been ignoring him. You pretty much have turned your back on God and everything that he represents. But tonight, you found your way in here and you felt like you are sick of looking at your past. You're sick of looking at your struggles. You're ready for that next step, that major breakthrough that's about to come. And you're ready to just run through the sea, whether it's split or not. You're ready for the miracle that God has in front of you. I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. Okay. So all across this place, with your eyes still closed, I want you guys to pray with me and and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. I need you, Jesus. I accept what you have already done on the cross. I accept you as my Savior. You have paid the price for my sins. I repent. I want to get to know you better. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So tonight, if if you were one of those people that raised your hand any of the times that I asked you to raise your hand, and you don't have certain things like a Bible or you're not sure what the next step is or you're not really sure what to do next I want you to find me find my wife find a small group leader and come and talk to us before you leave here tonight please don't leave here without talking to somebody make it known that you're wanting to take the next step We have Bibles, we have um, pamphlets, we have books, we have resources for you, free of charge.
We want to help you out. We want to get you guys on the right track. So tonight, if you guys don't mind, let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I recognize that you are in control. Lord, I ask that your presence will be among us. That, Lord, is everywhere we go, that as we leave this place, that people will know that we are yours because of your presence. Not because we appear perfect, not because we try to be perfect, not because we think we are perfect in any sort of way, but, Lord, that people will know us, know that we are Christian because of your presence in our lives and solely for the fact that your presence is among us wherever we go. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the fact that you're willing to meet us even in our struggles, even in our past, even when we're too busy focusing on the past, that you still meet us and you still part the sea for us and you still direct every step for us even when we're too busy to even recognize it. Lord, I ask that you will guide these students as they leave here and as they navigate college, as they navigate the the struggles in their life and the, the problems in their life, Lord, I ask that you will guide them and that you will, that your presence will be on them and that you will encourage them to get to know you better. Lord, I thank you and it is for your glory that we do all of this. Amen. So tonight, as you leave this place, come to Donald's, not McDonald's, Donald's. Let's enjoy some fellowship. I want to see every single one of your faces here, especially if I don't know you and you've not met me. Make it a point to come to Donald's and hang out with us. Thank you, guys. You guys are dismissed.